the book of Isaiah. If you're reading along with me, it's Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, we'll read the first seven verses, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. If you're not going to read this, it might be an idea just to close your eyes and to listen to these words written hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and yet they speak so clearly of him. So Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Well, a week past and on Sunday morning uh, here we had a wee think about the gift that the wise men, one of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. We thought about the gift of myrrh, and we said that that was like a wee pointer forward to the death that Jesus would die for his people. And then this morning, we looked at the gift of frankincense that was used in temple worship. So we said that the temple used to be the place where God met with humanity, God met with people, and now Jesus has become that place where God meets with people. So, I've left one gift off the list. Anyone know what, that, what gift that might be? Gold. Yes, I, I heard that Bethany got it first. Well done, no, Jim. Gold, I've left gold off the list. Gold has been taken by the church throughout church, church history as pointing towards the kingship of Jesus. It is a gift fit for 
a king. So I thought it would be good to reflect uh, this evening briefly on King Jesus and different aspects of the kingship, the rule, and the reign of Jesus. But I have a confession to make. When you're, when you're speaking from the front, better to be like a sniper than, than to be like a, you know, a machine gunist. And I feel as though I'm going to chuck an awful lot of points at you very, very quickly. So it might be too much. I'm conscious uh, it's late in the day. Christmas is coming fast. So if it feels like a lot of points, just grab one of them. Just take one of these points and take it away with you and chew it over tonight before you go to bed. And in the midst of the busyness tomorrow, when you get a wee moment, a wee second, just think about that one point that you have taken to think about, to reflect on this Christmas. So, the kingship of Jesus. We know what it was that these wise men who came to Jesus with these gifts, what it was they were looking for, who it was they were expecting to find. So they saw this star, they travel to Judah, where the star is, they get to Jerusalem, and they ask a question, they ask, where is the one born King of the Jews? So that's the first thing about this King, King Jesus, is King of the Jews, King of the Jews. He is the Messiah. So the word Messiah the, uh, the word is the same, same as the word Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew and Christ is the Greek. And it just means anointed one. Back in the first century, first century Judaism, when a person became a king, they were anointed with oil. So the Jewish people were waiting for this king to come from God to set them free. Not to set them free from Roman oppression, that's what many of them thought, but to set them free from their sins. And Jesus was that one that they were waiting for. He was the King of the Jews. He was and is the Messiah, the Christ. But actually, as you see, as Jesus grows up and he begins to start his ministry and he tells stories, often the heroes of the stories that he tells are not Jews. Often the heroes of the stories are uh, Samaritans, for example, people that Jewish people did not like, did not respect, did not think could be on good terms with God. And when he meets people, it's the same. Often the people that he meets, he meets the religious Jewish leaders and he rebukes them. And then he meets a Samaritan woman, for example, by the well, and he comes alongside her and he talks to her. And he encourages her. And he says to her, salvation is from the Jews. But he doesn't say salvation is for the Jews. So he didn't just come to save the Jewish people. He came even for the Samaritans. Or I wonder if you can think, use your knowledge of the Gospels, think about one of the times that Jesus was amazed. Can you think of an occasion when Jesus was amazed by the faith of another person? Who was that person that amazed Jesus with his faith? It was a Roman centurion, of all people. Hated by the Jewish people as a, 
as a servant of this pagan empire which was oppressing the Jews. And yet this is the man who comes to Jesus in humility and with faith. And Jesus is amazed. And he holds him up as an example for others to follow. Jesus came as the King of the Jews, but not just the King of the Jews. He came as the King of the Gentiles too, the King of the non-Jews. He says to his followers as he leaves them with this great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All nations, all peoples, even the Gentiles, even the Erdrionians are included. Every tribe and tongue is included in this call. Jesus came not just for a select group of people over there or over here. He came for the world. You remember we, we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The angels proclaimed good news of great joy for all the people. Not just for one group of people, but for all the people. Good news of great joy. I've been thinking a wee bit about 2017, the year past. We stand on the kind of threshold of a new year. And one of the saddest things that surely we have seen in 2017 is people desperately trying to escape from their own country to make a better life for, for themselves in another country, whether it's somewhere in Europe or whether it's here in the United Kingdom. And they've been desperate, so desperate, to get to this new country, to build this new life, that they've risked their own lives. And they've, they've tried to break into a country that clearly doesn't want them and won't welcome them. And isn't it good to know that as we look to the kingdom of God, with all of the blessings that that kingdom brings and all of the blessings that that, that kingdom will bring, that God will welcome us with open arms, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done, God will welcome us with open arms. If we come with whole hearts and if we come with empty hands to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will never turn us away. He will welcome us with open arms and with moist eyes into His kingdom forever. We celebrate good news of great joy for all the people at Christmas. So firstly, He is the King of the Jews and of the Gentiles. Secondly, He is the King of Peace. The King of Peace. I know it's Christmas Eve, but I want you to remember for a moment the story that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into Jerusalem not on a horse, kind of symbol of war, not on one of those uh, cars that you might expect a king to come in with the wee kind of flags at the front and bulletproof windows. He comes into Jerusalem on a donkey of all things, a symbol of, of peace and a sign of his gentleness. He comes into Jerusalem not to raise an army and to defeat Rome. He comes on a donkey 
not to kill, but to die, not to wage war, but to bring peace to all who will trust in Him. Zechariah chapter 9, we read Isaiah chapter 9, well, Zechariah chapter 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your King comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All who know this King as our King and as our Saviour are granted peace with God. And from that peace with God, we ought to have peace within. Because if God is with us, and God is for us, then what have we to fear in life and even in death? The love of God will be with the people of God, the people of Jesus, whatever 2018 brings. And so we can experience and live and rest in that perfect peace. The King of Peace and the King of Love. The reason that Jesus entered Jerusalem was to be crowned King, but not crowned King with a, a gold crown like the one in the top right. To be crowned King with a crown of thorns like the picture in the top left. He came to be mocked without mercy. He came into Jerusalem to be beaten and to be laughed at and to be spat on and to be murdered ultimately, to die in our place for our wrongdoing. He could have fought back. He could have called on a, an army of angels to come and to rescue him, to save the day, but he died in love just as he had lived in love for his people. Isaiah, we're going through the prophets here, Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think we have a good queen. I think she's done a great job for a long time, and I don't envy her and the role that she has. But who has a monarch like King Jesus? Who, what king has ever loved his people like Jesus has loved and does love his people? He is the king of love. And he is the king of kings. 
So we come to the cross and we see the love of the Lord Jesus, but it doesn't end with the death of Jesus on the cross. The Bible tells us that death, <coughs> excuse me, death was powerless to keep its hold on him. Death was powerless to keep its hold on the author of life itself. And so God raised him from death on the third day. And not only raised him from death, God raised him to take his place at God's right hand and to take that name that is above every name. Victorious, triumphant, ever living, ever reigning. All other kings, no matter how good they may be, all other kings die. All other kingdoms, no matter how powerful they may seem, all other kingdoms crumble in the end. All other empires come to an end. But Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and of His kingdom there will be no end. He is the King of kings, and uh, we've all stayed awake for our last point. He is the coming King. So John in Revelation chapter 19 gives us this glimpse through the window into heaven itself, and it, when we look into heaven, the thing that we see most clearly and most wonderfully is Jesus Himself. And as we see Jesus in heaven, He's not on a donkey anymore. Now He's on a horse. He's kind of glorious and majestic, and He has a sword. He's ready to, to judge with this sword. Uh, in the ancient world, you know, a king had two, two jobs, very different from kings and queens that we know of now. The first job of a king was to lead his people into to battle. And so as we see through the window of heaven, as we see King Jesus, it's clear he is victorious. The battle has already been won. And the second job of a king was to judge. So there was no high court in the, those days. The high court was the king. The king would judge. And the picture we have, as John paints it for us, is of King Jesus, victorious with this sword ready to come and to judge. And as you come to the kind of crescendo of John's picture, it says this of Jesus. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, is the one who will come to judge and to receive his people, as we thought about this morning, to wipe every tear from our eyes and to make all things new, to create a new world without sin and without the side effects of sin, without suffering, without sorrow, without separation, without grief and loss, this wonderful new world. What a day that will be when the King of Kings comes again. We are still a watching and awaiting people, even when we've had the last chocolate in the Advent calendar, even when Christmas Day comes, we are still a watching and awaiting people, waiting for King Jesus to come again. He is the King of people from all nations, no matter where we're from, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. He is the King of peace. He is the King of love. He is the King of kings, and He is the King who will come again. Let's bow our heads and humble our hearts in the presence of
King Jesus, as we pray together.